like to invite you to open your Bible um, to Psalm 119, verse 57. If you're using a pew Bible, it's going to be found on page 900. We're continuing in Psalm 119 yet again. Been here for a while. We'll probably continue to be here for a while. And if you would please stand with me as we read God's word this morning. Father God, we ask you to open our eyes and open our hearts to your word. And we pray that you would use this time to speak to us, that we would be convicted and encouraged by your holy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119, starting in verse 57. Heth. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. Please be seated. Now, what is the greatest gift you have ever received? Uh, probably all of us have very different answers on this. Uh, some of us may have received uh, something like a special game system that we wanted for a whole for a long time. Uh, some of us may have received something like, like a car when you turned 16. Uh, you might have received a free college education from your parents, although you probably didn't think of it as a gift uh, at the time. Um, maybe you received the gift of a home or a child or or something like that. Um, but as we get into Psalm 119 here, we're going to be talking about the greatest gift that we received. From God, And the greatest gift that God gives to a believer, now this is somebody who has um, repented of their sin, who understands that they can never possibly earn the merit or favor of God, someone who knows that they don't deserve anything from God, someone that understands that the only thing that they do deserve from God is his justice and judgment. Okay, so a, a believer under, understands Sometimes, falsely, that the greatest gift of God is maybe eternal life. Sometimes we think of it as grace or forgiveness or mercy. Sometimes we think of the greatest gift of God being health or wealth or happiness or maybe some fruit of the Spirit or maybe some type of special spiritual gift that God has given to us when in fact that we find right here in Psalm 119 the greatest gift that God gives is himself. The Lord is my Portion, it says right here at the beginning. The Lord is my portion. The reason that God gives us forgiveness and he pardons our sin is so that we might have him. That we can obtain him. That we can be united with him and enter into a relationship with God. And if he is, in fact, our greatest possession, then he is our greatest gift. You know, God is the, great, the greatest gift that God could ever give us is himself. 
that he is the object of our desire and our affection. And yet this doesn't seem to stop us from searching for our satisfaction in a lot of other places. You know, a lot of times we spend a lot of time and energy looking for something else aside from God that will fill us. You know, we look for it in relationships. We look for it in homes. We look for it um, in all sorts of things. Lately, I've been thinking how much satisfaction it would bring me if I just had a nice little six-speed convertible to drive up and down uh, Montesano Mountain every day. You know, how much fun that would, that would bring me, how much satisfaction selfishly that would give to me. If you ask our daughters what's the thing that they most want in the world, one of our uh, daughters told me that, the, that, that what she really wants is for the entire world to be made out of candy. Okay, everything candy, house, her family, um, everything. And that way, whenever she gets hungry, she can just turn to whatever's closest to her and, and have more candy, you know. Um, we look for this satisfaction all over the place. And, and, and when we grow up, the things that we want change a little bit, but, but they're still kind of the same. You know, we look for satisfaction still in food. We look for it sometimes in vacations or in bank accounts retirement savings and chocolate, you know, uh, all kinds of things we turn to to look for our personal satisfaction. And of course, the things in and of themselves are not bad. In fact, those things are gifts, and when we rightly uh, think, of how, think of them, we can steward them to, uh, to glorify God. We can use them to glorify God. But the things themselves can never compare to the indescribable gift of knowing God, the indescribable gift that we have in a relationship with God. See, only Jesus, only knowing Jesus can bring about our true satisfaction. As Randy mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, so much of us know a lot about God, but do we really know him? Is he ours? See, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. See, Paul is saying here that truly having, truly knowing, truly obtaining Christ has the effect of putting everything else in our lives into the proper perspective. And he doesn't just say that, well, compared to knowing Christ, this stuff isn't really um, mean all that much. Or compared to knowing Christ, this stuff kind of loses its luster a little bit. But in fact, the, he uses this word. He says, compared to knowing Christ, everything else is rubbish. And as we look at this word in the Greek, it, it, rubbish actually means like dung or excrements, uh, feces, Okay, compared to knowing Christ, everything else in the world, everything good, everything bad, every other gift is a heaping pile of manure compared to knowing him. Now, why would Paul possibly make such a grandiose statement? Why would he use such extreme language in order to say this? Well, for two reasons. One, it's the truth. And the second is that oftentimes we don't believe it. In the Love and Respect seminar that we did back early this spring, uh, the topic arose about the insatiability of the female. Um, the insatiability of the female. And it's, it was, as I heard this, I was like, okay, this is a borderline condescending comment about women talking about how 
they are never satisfied with anything. Okay, if you give them what they want, then they'll come back and they'll ask for something else and something more. Um, and, and when he says this, I'm kind of, well, I guess maybe I know a couple people in my life without mentioning names that might be a little bit like that. You know, they, they get what they want and they're not satisfied and they want something more and they want something more. Um, at home, we've got this great little book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. You know, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. You know, we have, we have um, a book that has several other stories in it. That's also, if you give a pig a pancake, he's going to ask for some syrup. If you give a moose a muffin, he's going to ask for some jam. Okay, so it's this whole, this whole train of thought that no matter what you have, you'll never be satisfied because you'll always be wanting something more. And so um, as I was thinking about, oh, there's a lot of people in my life that I kind of know like that, that my next thought was a little bit more convicting and going, hey, I think... I might be kind of like that. When I finally get the things that I want, something else is there that I want even more. It's it's pretty difficult to enjoy life if you're never satisfied by receiving the things that you desire. You know, we get a little bit of money, and then we start to think how much better our life would be, what else we could get if we just got a little bit more money. We're on vacation, and the whole time we're spending thinking about how great that next vacation is going to be that we're taking. We're enjoying a great meal and the whole time we're thinking, oh, I really should have ordered something else next time. My next meal is going to be even better than this one. I I think sports fans are even the worst. You could be watching your team win a championship, complaining that they're not winning by more, and then immediately complaining about how bad they're going to be next year. You know, we're, we're never, ever satisfied. It's not the insatiability of the female, it's the insatiability of humanity. The 19th century Irish playwright Oscar Wilde wrote this about an aspect of the human condition. He said that a cigarette is the perfect type of a perfect pleasure. It is exquisite and it leaves one unsatisfied. What more can one want? Okay? It's exquisite and it leaves one unsatisfied. What more could one could one want? So that's what happens when we look for satisfaction outside of Christ. We can never possibly be satisfied. So the psalmist saying here, the Lord is my portion. Now, what is a portion? Well, turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 10. If you have a pew Bible, this is on page 1488. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. This is probably a very familiar passage to most of us. Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to, to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. 
So Jesus here is faced with this situation where, where Martha has this legitimate complaint. You know, Jesus, I've been busy all day practicing hospitality and using my spiritual gift just like I should. You know, I've been doing this all alone. I've been running myself ragged. No one's been helping me. Here's my sister. She's just sitting down. Please, Lord, tell her to get up and to help me. And Jesus' response tells us so much here. Now, as a parent, you might be thinking, you know, when sisters uh, conflict, not that we ever have that happening in our house, uh, but some, you know, you would think, okay, all right, Mary, get up, and now it's your turn to help out, or, or don't worry, Martha, next time it will be her turn. So, you know, we, we try to think of this, you know, how would we resolve the issue? Instead, what Jesus says to Martha is, Martha, you're anxious about many things, all these other things. He says, but only one thing is necessary. You're worried and distracted and troubled by all this other stuff, but there's only one thing you actually need. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what is the portion that Mary chose? She chose Jesus. She chose to sit at his feet, to listen to his teaching, to bask in him. See, she understood that there would be time to take care of all those other details later, but there wouldn't be later time to sit with Jesus. The late Scottish minister, William Guthrie, wrote this about Jesus. He wrote, less would not satisfy, more could not be desired. See, there's nothing else that can fill us, nothing else that brings us satisfaction apart from Jesus. Thomas LeBronc wrote that he is an extremely covetous fellow to whom God is not sufficient. He, and he is an exceeding fool to whom the world is sufficient. For God is an inexhaustible treasury of all riches, sufficing innumerable men. While the world has mere trifles and fascinations to offer and leads the soul into deep and sorrowful poverty. You catch that last part? The world has mere trifles and fascinations to offer and leads the soul into deep and sorrowful poverty. See, we chase after the world and the things of the world. What we're left with is a poverty of the soul. And this explains to us so much about why the most wealthy, the most powerful, the most privileged people in this world are often the most lonely, the most depressed, and the most unsatisfied. Why is that? They seemingly have everything, and yet there's a poverty, this invisible poverty that they have that we can't see because they lack the one thing that is necessary. If someone recently told me how, you know, it said, you, you know, you guys always preach about how you don't need any money. Okay, but having money is a bad thing. Uh, and, they, and they said, I've lived with it and I've lived without it. They said, I'll tell you one thing, it's a lot better to live with it. Okay, and this is true, no doubt. There's a whole lot of things in, in life that are easier if we have money. But to listen to Jesus, there's only one thing that's necessary. And the question is then, what do we treasure? See, if the Lord is your portion, if he is sufficient for you, then he is your true treasure. And if we treasure the Lord, then as a result, we will treasure his word. If we treasure the Lord, we'll treasure his word. What does the psalmist say? Here he says, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. 
And if we say that we love the Lord, but we don't love his words, then there's something wrong here. See, Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy when he was tempted in the desert, said that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus met the woman at the well. He's there talking with her. His disciples come a little bit later, and they ask him if he has, uh, if he needs some bread, if he needs anything to eat. And he said, I've got bread that you don't know anything about. They said, who gave you bread? He said, my will, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, Jesus says that my food, my portion, my sustenance is to do the will of, the God, of God. It's the only thing that I need. It's what sustains me. He says, look, you're concerned with those physical needs, meeting those things, but the one thing you actually need is to do God's will. So we come down to verse 58 back in Psalm 119. It says, I entreat your favor with all my heart. And to entreat your favor here literally means to seek your face. I seek your face with all my heart. Now, we've got three little ones at home, and, and the one thing that they like to do sometimes if they come up and they've got something really important that they want to say to you is they will come up and they will grab your face and they will turn it to them. Has anyone, ever, anyone had children that did that to them? I mean, why, why is that? Some of you still have children that do that to you. Um, why is it they do that? It's because they want my attention, right? I wasn't giving them my full attention. I was watching the game or I was looking at my phone. I was doing something else. I was distracted and they wanted my attention. So they literally entreated my favor by seeking my face, physically moving it from one side to the other. So the psalmist describes the same thing with the Lord. He says, I seek your face with all my heart, with every fiber of my being. So this is the appropriate position to have with God, to seek him with all of our hearts. You know, it's, it's getting close again to graduation time, college graduation, high school graduation. Uh, one of the verses you hear quoted most often, my favorites, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper, uh, to give you a future and a hope. And, and we love this passage of scripture because it's so comforting to us. It reminds us that God's in control. It reminds us that he has a plan for our lives. And yet, we so often miss out on the command that comes with that. Verse 12 and 13 of Jeremiah 29 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, to know the plans that God has for us, to know the favor of God that we're looking for, we must find him and to do whatever it takes to seek him with all of our hearts, the whole thing. And if we're honest, and if I'm honest, you know, maybe on a good day, I might be seeking the Lord with about half of my heart. I'm not really seeking him as much as I'm seeking the answers that he might give me, or as much as I'm seeking comfort, or as much as I'm seeking security. I'm seeking something that he might give me. But if we take the position of the psalmist if we both say and believe that the Lord is our greatest portion that it's him that we will seek and when we find him after we seek him with all of our heart then our soul will be at rest and the things that we're concerned about won't be quite as concerning anymore 
You know, does God care about where I go to school? Does God care about who I'm dating? Does God care about where I live or what job I take? Or does, does God care about all those things? Of course he does. Of course he does. But God's primary concern is our heart. That's his primary concern. Are we seeking him with all of our hearts? You know, what is the Lord's will for you? What does the Lord desire of you? What is your primary purpose to put it another way, what is the chief end of man? Well, Westminster tells us it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You know, what is the will of God for your life? It is your sanctification. 1 Peter 2.15, Peter writes this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know, what does God want from us first and foremost? Well, he wants our hearts, he wants our minds, he wants our soul, he wants our strength. In a word, he wants us. He wants our obedience. He wants us to glorify him in all that we do. He wants our holiness. And when we give ourselves to him, then he gives himself to us, which is the most unfair exchange ever, that we give our sinful, selfish nature to God, and he gives us perfection through his son, Jesus Christ. He is merciful towards us. He is gracious according to his promise. And as we read here, the earth is full of his steadfast love. See, the will of God is simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. The will of God is simple. As we continue to pray and intercede on behalf of Pastor Brunson in prison in Turkey now for nearly two years, we know that the will of God has not been thwarted. It's God's will to be glorified in the faithful obedience of Pastor Andrew as he continues to be held on these false charges. You remember what the will of God was for Jesus, as described in Isaiah 53. It said it was the Lord's will to crush him for us. And when the will of God leads us into these difficult places, we must remember that he is both capable and able to take care of every need that we will face. Out of his abundance, Philippians 4.19 Paul writes, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, when the psalmist is writing here, he says, the Lord is my portion. He's not writing about something that he already has obtained. He's not writing because he's done this perfectly. If we look at verse 59, he says, now, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. And I think this is where a lot of us are today. When we, when we consider our ways, when we look at where we are, when we look at the direction that our feet are headed, we must then turn to his testimonies. Sometimes we look at our ways and we think, well, I don't measure up, but that's okay because nobody else really does. You know, I, I, there's things that are wrong with me, but that's just a part of who I am, and I'm not even going to think about or worry about changing those things, Right? We can always find someone else that compares that we compare favorably to. But the true reference point, the only thing that God allows us to compare ourselves to, is 
his testimonies, to his word, is to the perfection that we find in Scripture. And if we consider our ways and we understand and realize that we're not pointed in the right direction, then the only thing that we can do is to do whatever it takes to get headed towards him. You know, Desiring God uh, published this incredible piece this week on their website by Heather Pace called Confessions of an Unsaved Christian. If you haven't read it, I'd, I'd recommend going to do that at some point this week. But she begins her article by saying, As a child, I love the idea of following Jesus. As a teenager, I try to tell people about Jesus. As a college student, I studied to become a missionary. As a private school teacher, I passionately taught the gospel. As a pastor's wife, I discipled women, and I worked really hard at being godly. All this time spent loving, trying, studying, teaching, discipling, and working, I wasn't a Christian. I thought that I was saved, but I wasn't. See, and this is such an incredibly common experience, not just among people in ministry, but among believers altogether. We, we can almost get to the point where we think, okay, I'm doing all these other things, but we've never gotten to the point that we know God. Well, how do we know? How can we be sure? That first question is, well, what is our treasure? What's our portion? And the second question is, what, what about our ways? What do we think of ourselves? Do we truly believe that our sins deserve death? Do we truly understand the love of God? See, Heather's problem was that she never felt that any of her sins needed her to be saved. She thought that she measured up pretty well, and that from all outward appearances, she actually did. But in her heart, she didn't think that her sin needed the sacrifice of Jesus. She didn't believe that her sin deserved death. And the point of this isn't to make us question whether or not we believe, but to help us to understand that we have to examine our ways and examine our hearts because sometimes we get stuck doing the good things, appearing to be the good person. She said that I looked like a good girl because I did the things that the good girls did, and we can do all those things without having Christ. But here's the incredible news, that although it took her a while to figure this out, God knew it the whole time. And when her eyes were finally opened, when her heart was open to her need, he was right there with his grace, waiting for her. And the earth is full of the steadfast love of God. We can't escape it. It's unstoppable. It's unwavering. So there's nothing that can overcome the love of God that he demonstrated to us in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And back to that question, what then is our portion? Matthew 16, verse 26 Jesus says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Let us pray. Father God, allow us this morning to consider our ways. Be gracious to us according to your promise. And if our ways are not your ways, Lord, point our feet in the right direction. Awaken our hearts. Allow us to seek you with all that we are, that we might find you. And that in finding you, we might find true satisfaction. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.